Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family at Direct at gmail.com, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I couldn't be better. How are you today, Tim? I can't complain, Lance. And today we speak to a really interesting blogger, a woman named Laura, who is also a professional chef. And she writes a blog called Canadian Girl 77 about the disappearance of Trenny Lynn Gibson. Yeah, didn't it strike you when we were speaking with Laura that this is somebody uh, reminiscent of maybe like a Michelle McNamara, someone who is so thorough and has focused in on one case and has made that, aside from her professional life, this has become her other life. Well, you're absolutely right, and she's been following Trenny Gibson's disappearance for about 17 years, and she's spoken with a lot of Trenny's family and a lot of the classmates who were on the field trip with Trenny at the time of her disappearance. And we were introduced to Trenny Lynn Gibson by uh, Jennifer Amell, who works with us on a bunch of these cases through Private Investigations for the Missing, so Trenny's case came to us. We had 
Jennifer on uh, to speak with us about this. She gives us the uh, rundown, all the details, and puts together a PDF. And then we made the connection with Laura, who goes into even more detail, uh, makes some clarifications, and takes all of her uh, yeah, 17 years of experience on this and delivers it in such a meticulous, uh, thought-out way that uh, it's really riveting. I, I, I think you and I maybe spoke uh, three or four times during this whole thing. Yeah, she keeps the narrative going and uh, is very clear with her facts, Lance. It's great. And uh, so Trenny Lynn Gibson has been missing since October 8th, 1976. She went missing in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in Tennessee during a field trip. And she was seen by classmates hiking off of the trail. She sort of crouched down, looked to the right, and then left the trail. So she was seen hiking past people, uh, quote, with some purpose. That's what people said. And stops, kind of ducks down a little bit, looking to her right, and then ducks into, off of the trail, into the woods. And that's the last anyone's ever seen of her. And it turns into a search. There's a couple of suspects. And uh, we don't get into all of the suspects during this interview. We get into one of the suspects, but we'll have a follow-up with more details and at least one more suspect. Anyone with information on Trenny's whereabouts is instructed to contact the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations at 615-744-4000. Okay, and we'll play the interview with Laura Rist in just a moment. And Lance, back in 2001, around this time, May 17th, 2001, Alyssa Marie Turney went missing from Phoenix, Arizona. That's right. Uh, I'm sure 99.9% of our listeners know who Alyssa Marie Turney is. This is uh, Sarah Turney's sister, technically half-sister. At the beginning of each show, we try to do a segment that's uh, an on this date we want to feature an individual who's currently missing and we try to do it exactly on the date with the release of this show Uh, while we're a couple of days behind on this we really have to do this for Alyssa and for Sarah because of the work that Sarah's put into uh, bringing justice for her sister yeah and make sure to check out Sarah's show Voices for Justice and follow her on Twitter as well And make sure to follow Private Investigations for the Missing, and there are links for that in the show notes. Okay, thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Laura Rist. How are you today, Laura? I'm great, thank you. Laura, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to join us to talk about this uh, Trenny Lynn Gibson disappearance. It's a terribly tragic case. Uh, before we get into that, though, where are you from? Uh, I'm detecting maybe a little uh, Texas in that that accent. Is that are you are you down in Texas? No, I'm from um, uh, Drumheller, Alberta, Canada. Very similar. Just kidding. <laughs> right next door. Yeah, I'm from the Badlands of Alberta. There's dinosaurs and cactus and Badlands up here. Gotcha. Sounds interesting. Well, it's pretty far away from the Great Smoky Mountains, huh? Just, just a bit, yes. <laughs> so how did you get interested in Trenny's case? Well, I've always had a um, an interest in uh, missing persons, especially children. And that dates back to when I was maybe around seven, eight years old. 
the one I remember best, of course, is when uh, Adam Walsh was kidnapped. Yeah. But I, I used to be very interested in, as a child, um, you know, missing missing children. I used to like to look at the posters that they had up at the post office or in the grocery store. I, I'd like memorize the statistics, you know, how old they were when they when they vanished, that kind of thing, where they vanished from. And I always um, was interested in um, in that and mainly Canadian children. Although I, I did have an interest in several cases in the United States and a few uh, overseas, but Canada was my main my main focus. And um, in 2003, we finally got hooked up to the uh, internet and, and got a computer. And a friend of mine at work had mentioned that uh, she thought that I'd be quite interested in the Doe Network and uh, looking at cases on there. And that was how I stumbled across Trenny's case and really haven't, haven't looked back since. Uh, when I saw Trenny's face on uh, the Doe Network, it was almost like some something was saying, help me, I, I need help, I need you to help me, I need you to find out what happened to me, kind of thing. But back in 2003, there was very, very little information about Trenny on the internet. Uh, what I ended up doing was I got a subscription to newspapers.com, and I went back through all the uh, newspaper clippings about her disappearance and the search and uh, et cetera. And um, basically, I, I, uh, I, I put together um, a profile of Trenny, what, what may have happened to her, what areas were searched, and so on and so forth. But really, until about 2005, there was very, very little about Trenny on the Internet at all. And if you could find anything about her, she tended to be grouped in with Pauline Melton and Dennis Martin. They were two other people that went missing in uh, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Even though the cases are vastly different, they were all lumped together and they were kind of known as the big three. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah that's really interesting. And I, I have given study to Dennis Martin. Um, I've read several books about his case. I've done some of my own research and, uh, and, and whatnot into his story. And also into the story of Pauline Melton. Pauline was a lady in her 50s. She and her husband, they used to uh, camp for the summer in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And then they lived in Florida the rest of the year. And she went missing in 1981 when she was on a walk with two other women. She walked ahead of them and she just disappeared. And I've, I've looked into her case as well, um, given it some, some study. But nothing ever affected me like like the story of Trenny Lynn Gibson. And she's my main focus. Can I ask what you do for a living um, outside of detecting uh, missing people? I have no law enforcement background whatsoever other than an interest in it. And I've always been upfront with people that ask me about that. I have no law enforcement background. I'm not a private investigator. I'm a professional chef. Oh, you're a chef. Yes, I'm a professional chef. Oh, really? Wow. All right. Well, I manage um, I manage a cafeteria actually at a museum. That's my that's my job. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it, it is. And looking for Trenny, that's that's basically like something I do in my in my off hours. I have a room in my house, and my husband calls it my reading room, but I have. A map of the Smoky Mountain National Park on my wall, a map of Knoxville, 
a map of um, the counties, the various counties in Tennessee, postcards, a 1976 calendar, and and several books. And then I have my several ba- banker's boxes in the closet that contain all of Trenny's information that I've amassed over the years. Wow. Good for you. Uh, we did an episode about Trenny a few weeks ago. and Yes. And... We we put a bunch of information out there, but I'm curious to hear maybe your side of uh, reta- like recounting the uh, the incident. Well, Trenny um, was a was part of um, a horticulture class at uh, Bearden High School, and Trenny was 16. She just turned 16 in in August, and the field trip was October 8, 1976. And Trenny was interested in horticulture and plants. Uh, she enjoyed the, the class very much, as far as anyone can tell me. Her teacher was a new teacher to Bearden that year, Mr. Wayne Dunlap. And he had a background in, in agriculture. And they had um, a greenhouse. Uh, the horticulture wing was a new wing that was built onto the school, and it was all brand new. And then they had a greenhouse out in the in the back where they had the plants and and uh, everything growing. And Trenny was was so interested in plants and agriculture that she planned to later attend the University of Tennessee and she wanted to get a degree in landscape architecture. She was quite excited about this trip. Trenny was a quiet girl and she she was a bit of a loner. She had friends and she was friendly at with with different groups of students at school but she tended to keep to herself and sort of march to her own beat she was quite independent and like her parents said level-headed so this this field trip was set for a friday morning and trenny originally thought that the trip would be called off because the morning uh of the trip the forecast was for uh, cooler temperatures and and fairly nasty weather high winds, rain, fog, and possible snow flurries. And she thought that they they might not even be going. But she did not know where they were going that morning. She just knew that it was a field trip. The class would be gone all day, but she didn't know if they were going, you know, indoors somewhere uh, to a facility. She didn't know where exactly they were going because Mr. Dunlap kept the destination a tri- of the trip a secret until they were leaving. It's infuriating. Yeah, don't don't get Tim started on Mr. Dunlap. <laughs> I'm so mad at him. Okay, I, I won't go there. <laughs> oh, you should. I, I understand completely what you're saying, and, and uh, I, I agree with you, Tim. Yeah. But that's a lot of the... It's hard to explain, but that, that wasn't really that terribly uncommon in those days. Really, you know... Oh, we're, you know, we're going to go somewhere, and, and uh, it was a surprise. The students found out about it when they were on the bus, and they were going to depart the parking lot at Bearden. That, that, that's when they were told they were going to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park that day. And because Trenny didn't know exactly where she was going, her mother suggested she dress warmly. So she had a blouse on, and then she had a sweater on over the blouse. She didn't take a jacket or hat. Uh, all she had with her was her bag lunch. When they got to the school that morning, her mother had given her a ride to school. Trenny asked one of the follow, uh, one of her fellow students, rather, that was going by on the sidewalk, if he knew if the trip was still on for the day, and he said that it, yes, it was still a go. So Trenny left her books and her purse in her mother's car and just took her bag lunch. 
and said goodbye, and that was the end of it. So that was the last time that her, her family had seen her? Yes, that's the last time that her family had ever seen or heard from her again. That was October 8th, 1976? Yes. And can you um remind me, I think you said it previously, but when did you start looking into this? Was it in 2003? In 2003, it'll be 17 years next month, actually, that I discovered her case. And then I, I started looking um, into it more uh, thoroughly in 2005. And the reason for that was in 2005, I'd had a bad accident at work and I was laid up at home for three months and, and you know, kind of needed, thought I should, you know, pass the time somehow. So I started looking back into some missing persons cases, trannies included. And by then, um, there was a little bit more about her, like Web Sleuths was up and running. Uh, there was a few other sites that were going at that time. Uh, the Charlie Project was another one. And that was where I started amassing a little more information from 2005 onward. Prior to 2005, it was basically newspapers.com, and that's all there was. And her picture and a little bit about her case on the Doe Network. And you've spoken to some of Trenny's classmates? Yes, I've interviewed several of the classmates that were on the field trip. I'm in contact with Trenny's mother and her one brother. Uh, they live in West Virginia. We, we speak to each other uh, quite regularly. Uh, I don't like to, um, like I told Jen, I don't like to reach out to Trenny's mother too much. She's past 80, and it's, it's very hard for her to talk about it even to this day. So what we do is uh, she reaches out to me when she feels like talking more or, you know, to see if I have any questions that I need answered and so on and so forth. How did you first establish the, re the relationship with the family? They found me. Uh, in 2007, a friend of mine had a crime forum, and it was called Chris's Crime Forum. She started it because she went to high school with a girl that vanished, and this happened in Alberta. It happened in Peace River, actually, which is northern Alberta. Uh, she went to school with a girl by the name of Carolyn Prizer, and Carolyn went missing in 1984, uh, near to where her home was, and she's never been seen since. And it affected Chris, and it has to this day. They went to high school together, and they actually starred in a, in a drama production together as well. So Chris and I combined forces, and we had a crime forum. My um, area of expertise were more of the cold cases and more missing persons, missing children. That, that sort of, of category was mine. And in uh, 2010, I believe it was, that's when Hope Gibson, Tranny's mother, she reached out to me. She had seen some of the work you had done and uh, thought it was it was good. And, yeah, and she seen to talk some of the work that I had done. I actually had a photo of Tranny as my avatar on the uh, crime forum, and uh, Hope Gibson, she's she stayed quite uh, quite on top of Tranny's case even after all these years. She does a lot of research on the internet, and that's how she came across across me, and she. Um, started talking to me rather indirectly. She started posting on the site a little bit about uh, about Trenny. And then she reached out uh, to me through message. And then uh, a little while after that, we started talking back and forth through email or, or Facebook Messenger. And did she have any opinion um, as to the direction you were going in? Or did she shape your your independent investigation in any way? 
No, nobody's ever shaped my investigation. I had my mind made up when I first saw Trenny's face um, and she pleaded with me for help. And I read through her case. I, I knew what happened to her. And that's been my stance ever since, what, what happened to her. The only um, part I'd say that I've changed a bit is where Trenny is. I'm a little more open now to where she is rather than being closed-minded and saying, well, no, there's no way she could be there. She had to be here. Uh, I'm more open-minded in, in that respect. But I, in the, in the respect where what happened to Trenny that day and is she alive, is she deceased, I, I've never wavered from that. And what do you think? Trenny's long gone. She, uh, she died the same day she disappeared. Yeah. And uh, you think she's out of the park or you think she's in there still? Oddly enough, in the very beginning, I wasn't sure. I, I believe Trenny, Trenny was gone. Um, I, I didn't think that she had run away or, or anything like that or fallen into a crevice or hole or wild animals got her, or God forbid, Bigfoot or the aliens. No, um, I, I kind of tended more to think she'd been taken out of the park, murdered, and then disposed of. Years later, I started thinking, you know, crazy as this sounds, what if Trenny was murdered and she's buried in that park? And that's what I've been focusing on more now, is, is she's in the park somewhere. And I, I have reasons to back that up, why I feel that way. It's not just some crazy intuition thing. I, I have reasons why, why I think that she's back in the park and that she came to rest there. That's unbelievable. Can you lead us uh, up to you coming to that conclusion? Uh, and for who, whoever doesn't know, can you walk us through when she disappeared? Like, because uh, she was on the trail and... She had right. stopped and, and you know, the, those circumstances. Well, Trenny was walking. She spent um, the first part of the hike with a good friend of hers, uh, Robert Simpson. She was friends with, and, and I should back up here, and I'm just going to tell you now, there are a lot of Roberts in this story. So I'll, I'll do my best to keep them straight for you. Thank you. Robert Simpson, I will just refer to him as Simpson only. Uh, Trenny also had an older brother named Robert, and I will call him Bob or Bob Gibson. Then Trenny's father was Robert Gibson Sr. Okay. Trenny was walking with Simpson that morning. Now, Simpson was a good friend of uh, Trenny's older brother, Bob, and Trenny knew S Simpson well, of course, and, and uh, felt, uh, felt fairly comfortable and, and safe with him. And Trenny's brother had been in the Navy, uh, and he had just um, come home on leave on Wednesday, and then this was Friday, the day of the trip. And Trenny was very excited to have Bob home. He was, um, he had just come back, he had he'd been in training, he'd been gone since July, and he and Trenny were always very close. From, from the day that uh, Trenny came home from the hospital as a baby, they were, they were always very close. Uh, so anyway, uh, Bob knew that Trenny was going to be away on this field trip for the day, and she was a little nervous uh, about it. Um, Trenny was kind of a homebody. She tended to stay around home. So Bob Gibson had asked uh, his best friend, Simpson, you know, can you just keep an eye on Trenny and, and make sure she's all right for the day and, and whatever, so, you know, I don't worry about her, that, that kind of thing. 
And if somebody tasks you with looking after after their sister, you know, you took that seriously. Like that was a that that was a job, and that was something that you were supposed to uh, supposed to do. So that morning, uh, Simpson and Trenny um, hiked. I say morning, but it was actually more around noon when the hike started when they reached the park, and the they were hiking to Andrews Bald, which was their assignment. They uh, were a lot were supposed to observe the uh, flowers and trees and flora and fauna along the way, but they weren't allowed to pick or gather anything. Just just observe. They ate their lunch somewhere along the way, and they got to Andrews Bald without incident and looked around at the uh, diverse plant life on Andrews Bald. And uh, by now, the other students had, had also reached the Bald, and a lot of them had, had departed. They were kind of just all hiking in groups according to their ability. Uh, they weren't hiking in one large group or two, two medium-sized groups, just kind of uh, whoever they wanted to hike with type of, of thing. So anyway, now it kind of gets a little bit gray, even though Simpson was tasked with watching Trenny uh, for the for the day, uh, Trenny seems to want to go back to the bus, and Simpson wants to stay behind and hang out for a while. So they part company at this point. Simpson stays behind on Andrew's bald, and Trenny starts walking back down towards the bus. And the students that I've interviewed uh, said that she seemed to be kind of hiking like she had a destination in mind. She was hiking a little bit faster than some of the other students who were kind of just strolling along, enjoying their day out of school. And Trenny would kind of um, catch up to a group and fall in step with them, maybe speak to them a little bit. And then uh, she'd speed up and uh, catch up to another group and, and so on. The last couple of groups that saw Trenny um, said that... Uh, they were going to sit down and, and have a rest. The last group that Trenny had walked with had a boy among them, and he was breathing a little little on the wheezy side. He had asthma. So they stopped to rest, and they invited Trenny to sit and rest with them, and she said no, she wanted to keep going. And they said that she wasn't acting strangely or anything, just she wanted to, wanted to leave. So they sat down and they watched, and the trail kind of had a bend in it. So it was a little bit hard to see, but one of the girls said she sort of leaned over and she saw Trenny stop on the trail and then kind of crouch down for a moment and look off to the right. And then she appeared to step off the trail then to the right. And this girl thought that was a bit odd, but she thought maybe Trenny had to relieve herself, go to the, go to the washroom. So she didn't think too much of it. And then when the uh, group stood up and started walking again, she said she sort of paused at the approximate place where Trenny had stepped off the trail. And she said she looked and she thought it was really strange Trenny would get off there because there was nothing there. There was nowhere to go. There was no side trail, nothing. There was just uh, thick shrubbery. Uh, there was a little bit of a stream and it made the bank slick. And she said she even got off and kind of took a step or two and called Trenny's name, but there was no answer. So thinking that Trenny had just, you know, stepped off quickly and they missed seeing her or she had got, gotten back on the trail at another spot, they just figured she'd be at the bus and they just continued on their merry way. Um, it was at the bus then 
when they were doing roll that they realized the trenny didn't come back. And about how long after they saw her step off the trail were they at the bus? This case suffers a bit from what I call the tainted timeline. The students said that they last saw Trenny between quarter to three and three o'clock. And the students were all supposed to be back at the bus at 3.30 sharp so that they could begin their destination back to uh, Knoxville. So this girl claimed that the Trenny stepped off. They last saw her at about 10 minutes to three. And that's the time given also in the in the search report from the National Park Service. Okay. And then it sounded like Mr. Dunlap uh, actually sort of uh, hustled into action pretty quickly with the, uh, the, the immediate search efforts. He did. Uh, I'll, I'll take a, this moment to point out, and I, I know you pointed this out on the podcast, but Mr. Dunlap was the only adult with 40 teenaged kids, 15, 16, and 17-year-old kids. The bus driver... Uh, as per Knoxville, uh, as per the Knoxville School District, in those days, he was required to stay with the bus. And as far as I, I can ascertain, he did carry that out. He did stay with the bus. So Mr. Dunlap was the only only teacher or adult on that trip. And he tended to hike more towards the back of the group just to make sure there was no there was no stragglers. But he did participate and he did walk with the students. So when it was discovered the Trenny didn't come back, Mr. Dunlap swung into action. He got another student named Danny Johnson uh, with him, and uh, he sent Danny to Andrews Ball to see if he could see any trace of Trenny. Mr. Dunlap then hiked to Double Springs to see if Trenny had possibly stepped off. There's a trail that loops around and got gotten confused and ended up down at uh, at Double Springs instead of the parking lot where the school bus was. The students that remained, they were told that they could search around the parking lot, but they had to remain inside it. Mr. Dunlap and then Danny returned from their respective uh, searches and had found nothing. Although Mr. Dunlap does claim in the search report that he did see small-sized tennis shoe prints fitting uh, Trenny's description because she had on Adidas tennis shoes and they had a certain type of uh, kind of a, a dash and a star pattern on the bottom of the shoe. And he said he did see uh, small size tennis shoe prints for about a half a mile on the AT, which is short for the Appalachian Trail. But I will point out that the shoe prints are only ever mentioned once in the search report and then never again. So I, I don't know. The weather was bad. It was it was raining. The wind was picking up. I don't know if the footprints possibly got washed away. And that's why they're never mentioned again in the search report. But after they found no, no trace of Trenny, Mr. Dunlap uh, notified the Park Service uh, via CB radio that uh, a student was missing. And they sent a, a ranger down to come and, and help search. And he went to uh, to Double Springs and found no tr- no trace of Trenny. They went to Klingman's Dome, no trace of Trenny. Mr. Dunlap then decided, because it was dark and the students were were on the bus, uh, you know, they were afraid. They they didn't know what was what was happening. 
He then made the decision to send the school bus of students back to Bearden High in Knoxville, and he was going to stay behind and assist with the search. Have you ever had the opportunity to speak with uh, with Wayne Dunlap? I've reached out to Mr. Dunlap several times. I've even tracked down his ex-wife and spoke to her. She and Mr. Dunlap were married when Trenny vanished. So she remembers the case quite well. Mr. Dunlap, it, it took a, a serious toll on him, Trenny's disappearance. He had a, a, a near nervous breakdown, and he actually resigned from Bearden that year. And he and his uh, wife at the time, they, they moved away. They moved clear across the country to Oregon. Oh, wow. And uh, he was sort of suspected at one point. Is that true? He was suspected at, at one at one point, and I will point this out. It, it's the way that I've, I've looked at this. To me, everybody that was on that trip is a suspect, unless there's a way that I can rule them out somehow. I suspect them all. You know, that's, that's just the way that I've, I've had to look at this. I suspected everybody, unless there was some reason that I could rule them out, that they had nothing to do with it. So when you spoke with Mr. Dunlap's wife... Was she receptive to your investigation or was she sort of um, standoffish? Oh, yes. It was it was his ex-wife that I, I, I reached out to. She was very helpful. She did give me Mr. Dunlap's uh, contact information. And then she reached out to him herself and tried to, you know, plea on my behalf. Like I, I told her, I'm not trying to judge anybody or anything like that. I just, you know, want the facts of, of what happened that, that day. That, that's it. I said, I'm not trying to, uh, to frighten anyone or, or anything like that. I don't know what Mr. Dunlap's, um, you know, what his mental health is at this point. And I, I wasn't trying to do anything like that. I just wanted the hard, cold facts and the information what happened that day. And he has never reached out to me despite several attempts. I've even handwritten letters and sent them to him, um, you know, asking for information, you know, telling him, you know, it's it's uh, I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm not trying to judge you. I just want the facts. And he's ignored me. It's pretty telling on a number of levels. One of them, I'm sure, is the fact that he had this nervous breakdown and probably is being advised by, I'm assuming, a counselor not to revisit that, that day again. Do you think that that's a possibility? And that, that's, that's a distinct possibility. Uh, Mr. Dunlap was also a veteran. He was in the Vietnam War. He was a quartermaster in, in the Army. Um, so he, he was a, in Vietnam. Then he, um, he went to, uh, to teach at Bearden. He did a wonderful job. The, the students uh, were very, very happy with him. They, they enjoyed being in his class very much. Any of the people that I've, um, I've interviewed that were students of Mr. Dunlap had nothing but good things to say about him. It was just this rather poorly planned, uh, poorly organized field trip you know, that, that led yeah. to, led to this. And that's what I mean when I tell them, like, I have no judgment or, or anything like that. We're not, I wasn't going to get into, into a debate about him, about what he probably should have done better because really he's probably beat himself up about it, you know, over and over again, over the years, you know, would have, could have, should have sort of thing. So I, I didn't want to do that. I just wanted the facts that that's all I, I was interested in. Yeah, you're right. I'm sure he's he's done that to himself over and over. That that's right. 
and, and really, even if he had just written me a letter back or sent an email back and said, you know, hey, I can't do this and here's why. I, I can't talk about this and here's why. Th- that would have been fine. I, I would have been uh, very happy with, with that. And that would have been the end of it. But to, to just stay silent, that, that does bother me a little bit. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't seem like he is the most suspicious person from the trip. Would you say that's true? No, because the, the students do remember seeing him. He was he was hiking with various groups. He did tend to hike more toward the back of the, of the uh, students, which does make sense, bringing up the rear to make sure, you know, that... Uh, that everyone was uh, was accounted for. Really, only the Mr. Dunlap is just like I said. He's he's guilty of a poorly planned, poorly executed field trip. Yeah, absolutely. What's your opinion on why Trenny ducked off the trail in the first place? If she was in danger, was she trying to get a get away from danger when she was walking with a purpose, and then she saw maybe a quicker route or something, or Maybe someone was calling her. Trenny didn't um, had no experience in the park whatsoever. Uh, I've I've ascertained that by speaking to the family, and and even Trenny's um, extended family asking asking and interviewing them. She'd never been to the park before, so she didn't have a good a good grasp of how it was laid out. In those days, you couldn't just Google it. You had to you had to buy a map and and study it. And Trenny also didn't know that that's where they were going that day. She didn't know of the destination ahead of time. So that was all a, all a surprise. My thoughts were Trenny got lured off the trail. There was somebody off trail. They may have taken another trail parallel to that one, or they could have cut through the woods. Somebody that knew the park quite well. And they lured her off. You know, they likely waved at her, beckoned or something, and, Trenny was a level-headed girl. If it was somebody that she knew fairly well, and she saw, you know, their friendly face in the in the uh, in the woods, I, I can see her stepping off trail to go and see, you know, what they wanted. Maybe they said they wanted to show her something. They knew Trenny was very interested in plants, flowers, that sort of thing. A baby animal is another great way to lure somebody off the uh, off the trail. Oh, come here! I'm going to show you this baby. Fill in the in the blank. But to me, she was lured off. And you think that would have had to been from someone on the trip with her, though, right? Someone who was on that bus. It was. It was definitely somebody she knew. If it was somebody that was just out hiking, uh, Tranny wouldn't have stepped off the trail and gone into the underbrush for them. She might have, have looked when they waved at her and then just looked away and kept walking. She was she had her, her head screwed on straight. Let's put it that way. It, it, it would have to have been somebody she knew. Did she have any boyfriends or any romantic interests at the time? Trini was interested in a, in a few boys, but as far as I can, I can um, ascertain, she wasn't dating anyone, although she was allowed to date. The family rule was once she turned 16, she was allowed to date. But her parents said that she hadn't been out with anybody. But that was her choice. She just really wasn't interested enough in anyone to go out on a date. But with talking to some of her her girlfriends at school, they said, oh, yes, Trenny had a crush on this boy or or that boy. But a crush was was all it was. It never went any further than that. 
Now, what about this Simpson guy? Did he have a crush on Trenny or anything like that? Yes. Um, and and uh, as far as I can ascertain, yes, he did have a crush on Trenny. Uh, Simpson was a, a heavy set kid and he tended to wear overalls. He was another student, sort of like Trenny, but in, in a different way. He just did his own thing. Um, he liked camping, the outdoors. He was involved in the outdoor club and the hunting and fishing club at school. He uh, also uh, did some backpacking and overnight tent trips. He was quite familiar with the Smokies, but his area of expertise tended to be a different section of the Smokies rather than the section where they, where they uh, uh, were hiking that day and where Trenny uh, actually went missing. Uh, his father, uh, Robert Simpson Sr., there's another Robert here, was a prominent attorney in Knoxville at the time, and he was actually actually had been promoted to district attorney. I feel like you're uh, indicating uh, something there. Y- yes, I, I am. I- I'm glad you picked up on that. It was the long pause after. <laughs> <laughs> he had his own car. Uh, Trenny was, was a year younger than he was, so he was a senior. Uh, Trenny was a, was a junior when she vanished. And he, he hung around a fair bit with Bob, Trenny's older brother, and they were, they were good friends. And he also had uh, two younger sisters as well, and they, as well, and they both attended Bearden. I believe one was a year or two younger than Trenny. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nyx.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. So this Simpson guy, what was his actions like during the time when Trenny went missing? Does it, does, did anyone have eyes on him? No. Uh, nobody seems to know where he was exactly after he and Trenny parted ways on Andrews Bald. Nobody remembered hiking with him, anything like that. They do remember him coming back to the bus 
in fact, one of the one of the girls that I spoke with, I say girl, but she's she's 60 years old now. She said we all made it. It wasn't wasn't that difficult of a hike. She said even Robert Simpson made it. And she said he was huffing and puffing a little because he was an overweight guy. Uh, but she said we were all we were all there. It was just Trenny that was gone. So realistically, how long would someone have had to be unaccounted for with Trenny before you know they would have had to have shown up at the bus? Really, um, if she if she went off the trail at the time that they said that she did, which is in the neighborhood of two forty five, two fifty, they were supposed to be back at the bus then at three thirty. So really, about forty five minutes. But you also have to take into account the the distance to come back to the bus. But Trenny's case also suffers for what I call the tainted timeline. There's there's quite a gap in in time. There could be a, a longer amount of time or, or a shorter amount of time. She could have went missing earlier than they they thought she did, or even a little bit later. It's not an exact uh, exact science. As to when exactly she went missing, it's it's sort of a window. At that at that point, that's when that's when she stepped off the trail and they didn't see her again. But it was right at three thirty when the students were back to the bus and they were doing roll that they discovered she was gone. Okay, so that doesn't leave a lot of time for someone to uh, to slip away undetected and and come back and not not be dirty, not be. Uh, too affected by what had maybe just happened? Right. It's not a, a huge window of, of time, but when they were searching for Trenny, Trenny's uncles came and they were from the mountainous part of uh, Polk country, Tennessee. They actually had brought their own dogs as well to, to aid in the search. And what they did was they took the time and distance, what it would take to go from Andrews Bald going through the woods to the approximate area where Trenny stepped off the trail and timed it out to how long it would take then to get back on the trail or go back through the woods to get to the parking lot and the, and the school bus. They timed it all out to see if somebody could do something nefarious that was on the field trip and have time to do it and have time to get to the bus. And they said that, yes, they did have enough time. Okay, so something nefarious like, uh, you know, take her body away, probably not cover it too great, probably not bury her too great or anything like that, but then have to hustle back. Right. Did they say how long it would have taken? They claimed about half an hour. Oh, wow. So that really isn't much time. No. You're down to like 10 minutes or something you can actually, you, you actually would have uh, been able to conceal Trenny. You also have to realize, too, these were high school students, and it is a possibility that something happened to Trenny where she was deceased, but they didn't, it, it wasn't a planned thing. It just sort of happened. So you, you also have to tend to look at it that way, that it could have been something that just went too far, and perhaps she passed away. Interesting. Is there any area in the terrain there that, she could have been maybe maybe thrown over like really quickly, not like a cliff or something or some sort of. There uh, are cliffs. There are cliffs in the in the area. But I will also point out to you as well. I, I don't know how how in depth you visited my my website about Trenny, 
But if you happen to go on there, you'll notice there's several pictures of Klingman's Dome. And in one of the photos, it was sent to me by a, a viewer that in the 1970s, in the base of the Klingman's Dome Tower, there was a room. And it just had a dirt floor and they used it for storage. And there is a possibility that Trenny's captor may have taken her there because Trenny's scent was picked up at the base of that Klingman's Dome Tower. Oh, that's creepy. But if you go on my site, you will see a photo of it that at yeah. that time there was, a, there was a room in there. How long was it before they brought dogs in to trace the scent? They brought the dogs in the next day. They were bloodhounds and German shepherds, and Trenny's uh, uncles had come up from Polk County, and they brought their own dogs to aid in the search as well. And I will point out that all the dogs hit on the same spots. And, you know, they're German shepherds, they're hunting dogs, and they're bloodhounds. So it's not like a dog picked up a scent over here, whereas the other dogs didn't pick that up. The, the dogs all, all hit on the same, the same place. And her scent was picked up where she stepped off the trail. There was also another hit at the base of the Klingman's Dome Tower. And her scent was also picked up in Collins Gap. And her scent was taken to the edge of a paved road that's in Collins Gap. In Collins Gap, there's an overflow parking lot where maybe 15 or 20 cars could park. And it was um, her scent was, was picked up there. That's where I believe she was put in a car or, or vehicle and, and taken away. That sounds likely um, based on the dog scent. And you kind of mentioned uh, the possibility of an accidental death where more than uh, one person on this trip maybe knew what, um, what happened. Is, is that because there are several suspicious people or people not um, being completely cl- like coming clean with what they saw? Well, yeah, yes. Um, Robert Simpson, I've always had the mind where if he didn't harm Trenny, he knows what, what happened to her. He, like, he knows what, much more than, than what he has ever told. And a lot of that was because of counsel from his father. His father, I believe, also made, made him stick to the story. The alibi that, that Simpson gave for where he was when, when Trenny disappeared was they had parted ways in Andrew's bald, and he had gone off tracking a bear. That sounds reasonable. Uh, he was doing that until he, you know, it was time for him to head back to the bus, and then he, he, did, he did so. And he always stuck to that story. Uh, the, the Gibson family, they questioned him. Trenny's grandmother said, you know, you know, Bobby, because that's what they, they called Simpson. They called him Bobby. She said, where were you when you were supposed to be with Trenny? You were supposed to take care of her and you were supposed to walk with her back to the bus. And she said, you know, you ate half of her lunch because Trenny had given a Simpson part of her sandwich that that day. She said, you know, you ate half of her lunch and then you just let her go off by herself. Where were you? And Simpson stated, he, he jumped out of his chair and he stated, I was off tracking a bear. And then he took off out of the room. But he stubbornly stuck to that tracking a bear story, which I'm sure you know as well as I do that it's completely ridiculous. Yeah, oh, it's completely ridiculous. There's no way somebody is going to go track a bear. He'd have to be absolutely idiotic to do insane 
yes. insane with you know at that time of year without a without a firearm are you crazy <laughs> it's a bear yeah <laughs> A more a more plausible excuse would have been maybe uh, Simpson saying something to the effect of, "I really had to go to the bathroom, and I asked Trenny to wait for me. And when I finished my business and came back, she was gone. So I, I guess she didn't want to. I guess she didn't want to wait. She took off. And he could have said, you know, I walked back down on the trail and I never did see her, but uh, I figured she was just walking with someone else." But he stubbornly stuck to that bear story, and that is in the statement that he gave the authorities. That's that's ridiculous. Um, it is for the for the search. How long did the search? Uh, how long was it? Did it carry out? Well, they they started searching that evening. Uh, Mister Mister Dunlap and one of the rangers. Then more rangers came between six and seven o'clock that night after the students had left to go back to Bearden on the on the school bus. They searched as much as they could that night, but of course it was dark. Rain had set in, high winds, the temperature had plunged. But they they searched all night. They finally stopped at about three o'clock in the morning. Mrs. Gibson, uh, her husband, who'd flown in uh, from New Orleans, uh, coming back from a business uh, trip, they drove up to the park that night and they stayed in Gatlinburg. And they were up there for about the first five days of the of the search. And they brought along unwashed clothing with them that Trenny had worn for the search dogs. And the next morning, uh, 19 searchers came to search for Trenny. Uh, Dr. Lash, which was a prominent who was a prominent physician at the time, he came and got set up with his team of nurses to screen the searchers and be on site for any any injuries or or anybody that uh, was suffering from the cold uh, temperatures and they had brought in um, the uh, the helicopters but the helicopters couldn't uh, take off and search because the weather was so foggy they they had to wait till the fog broke later on Saturday afternoon but I'll also point out it and it mentions this in the search report that nobody closed the gate by Klingman's Dome until the next morning. So that gate was left open from the time that uh, it was realized Trenny was gone till the following day. Okay, so that tells you that someone could have um, passed through uh, either way uh, through that gate. That's a poss- possibility, yes. If, if that's the route they took, that that gate had been left open. Yeah. It was in the in the morning that it was closed. Now, what's your theory on the cigarettes that were found? The cigarettes, I've always kind of been on the fence with those. They're they're possibly just a red herring, but I do think they have some significance. Many of the students that went to Bearden at that time were smokers. Robert Simpson, I'll also point out, was was a smoker. He smoked both cigarettes and he also smoked pot smoked pot quite heavily. And these cigarette butts were found in a pile close to where Trenny had stepped off the uh, trail. And there was also half a can of beer found there. And the beer was fairly fresh. You could still smell it when the searchers found it. And more cigarettes of the same brand were found along the trail um, that was uh, leading to to Collins Gap and also by the uh, side of the road where the dogs had picked up Trenny's scent. Uh, in Collins Gap, so they, these cigarettes were all of the same the same brand. What brand was it? Was it a popular brand? 
I've never been told what brand that these cigarettes were. I have been told that the cigarettes were retained as evidence, but it's not to my knowledge if they've been tested for DNA. Hmm. Okay. So did Trenny smoke? Did you say that Trenny smoked too? Well, according to her parents, no. But from what I can what I can find out speaking to people that knew her at school or away from home, they said Trenny did smoke, but she was more of a dabbler in it. Like if somebody offered her one, she'd, she'd you know, smoke with you to kind of be social. But she wasn't a, a heavy smoker. And it was also told to me that her brother Bob kind of got her started on her on it and and that sort of thing. But Trenny didn't smoke around her her folks. She knew that they didn't like that like it. So it was more like it was a dabbling thing that she did when she was away from uh, away from home. And was it pretty common knowledge after the fact that Simpson was the prime suspect? Was he were fingers being pointed at him in the town? Oh yes, they were. Because um, I think believe this was brought up in the podcast episode. They found Trenny's comb in his car. Trenny had this comb. And uh, to people nowadays, a comb doesn't seem like any significant type of thing. But in the in the 70s, a comb was almost like a status symbol. You had it in the hip pocket or the back pocket of your jeans with the handle kind of kind of sticking out. And Trenny's mother had bought her sister, Tina, as well as Trenny each one of these heavy Stanley combs that uh, were popular at the time. Stanley was a company sort of like Fuller Brush. And these were heavy, thick combs, and they were good for uh, girls that had long hair. And the combs were expensive. They were about 4 or $5 back in the 70s, and fairly expensive. And Trenny treasured this comb, and she always had it in her uh, right hip pocket of her jeans, and she'd pull it out every once in a while and run it through her hair. And she was never without this thing. Uh, she she really, really liked this comb. So anyway, after Trenny disappeared, her comb showed up on the dash of Simpson's car. And it was actually Trenny's brother, Bob, that, that spied it there. And he asked Simpson, what are you doing with Trenny's comb? You know, why do you have her comb? And Robert Simpson just sort of shrugged and said that, oh, well, Trenny just wanted me to hang on to it for her. And he'd been using it to comb his own hair, Simpson had, and his own hair was wadded around in it. And as as Trenny's mother said, Trenny would have died to seen her comb in that state. But that's where they where they found it. So that was definitely a red flag that something was was odd with this whole thing. And then uh, another thing that was strange was after the comb surfaced, uh, so did Trenny's jewelry. Trenny had a really nice ring and necklace, and she'd been wearing it uh, the day of the field trip. It had a sapphire uh, stone in the ring and in the necklace and some diamonds. It was semi-valuable jewelry. She'd gotten it for birthday, Christmas gifts. And this jewelry was then found to be in the possession of a girl that was in the sophomore class at Bearden. And it got through the grapevine that this girl had this jewelry and another um, girl that knew Trenny, and they didn't go to school together, but this girl, I'll call her Sandy, uh, because she doesn't want her, her name put out there. She actually went to church with the Gibsons, and she knew Trenny quite well from, from church. And Sandy's mother had told her that uh, uh, Trenny's jewelry had turned up, and a girl in the sophomore class at Bearden had it. 
And ironically, this girl that had the jewelry, she also went to church with the Gibsons, and that's how Sandy knew her as well. So Sandy's mother said to Sandy, you know, maybe you should call her and talk to her and see where she, how she came to have Trenny's jewelry, and you need to tell her that she needs to return it, give it back to the Gibsons, because that's the right thing to do. So Sandy did call this girl, and the girl was very evasive. She wouldn't tell Sandy where she'd gotten this jewelry, how she'd gotten it, when she'd gotten it, anything like that. Just after much pleading on Sandy's part, this girl did agree to return it to the Gibsons, and she never, ever did. She never returned the jewelry? No, no. Wow, that's so bizarre. Yeah, that's so bizarre. It is. So when you said before that this could have been something that went a little too far and numerous people could have known about something that happened to Trenny, I'm assuming that it kind of stems from this other random girl having Trenny's jewelry. Right. And it's in, in talking with the classmates, people are too nervous about some, some aspects of all this. And the classmates, there are some of them that absolutely do not have any idea what happened to Trenny and just say that this is the strangest thing ever. One minute she was there, the next minute she was gone. But they will point out if she was planning to take off, she took absolutely nothing with her, so it really didn't make make a lot of sense. But then there are students that when they speak to you, you can tell that they know things, but they're they're holding them back, and they tend to be evasive when you talk to them. Or they try to set it up where Trenny, Trenny ran away. She wasn't happy at home. Her parents were too strict. You know, this was bothering her, that was bothering her, so she just took off. But if you keep questioning them, it's almost like the the runaway theory is a giant piece of cardboard, because when you start pushing on it, all of a sudden it starts to fall in on itself. And these people can't back up their story. They have no no reason as to why she'd do this, and they just don't want to talk about it anymore. And after Trenny vanished, the Gibsons, they, they hired private investigators. When Trenny's sister got older, she started questioning people. And if she questioned people a little too much or questioned the, the, the right person, they tended to start threatening her that if she didn't shut up and she didn't leave this alone, the same thing that happened to Trenny was going to happen to her. But if Trenny just ran away, like a lot of the classmates try to make it out that she did, what is there to threaten anybody about, really? You know, the girl just ran away. That's nothing to, to threaten anyone about. It was just, you know, she couldn't handle it and she she took off. Like, what are the threats about? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And I did an interview with, um, with Steve Stockton, a couple, uh, he has a series on missing and mysteries. And I've pointed out that probably about a year or two after I started on the crime forum and started researching Trenny's case in earnest, I've met with threats myself. And it could be random crazy people. You know, there are plenty of them out there. But these people that threaten me tend to know a little too much about the case. So I, I tend to think more of it that it's somebody that uh, is a lot closer to the case than some random crazy person out there. What kind of threats did you get and how are they delivered to you? That I need to leave this alone, that I need to keep my nose out of it, that I need to shut up or bad things are going to happen to me and my family and yada, yada. 
I have reported the threats. Um, I have let the uh, the uh, right authority know that you know this this happened to me. That I am looking into Trenny's case, and and you know I'm I'm meeting with these threats. Most of them come by email. Yeah. Jeez. Um, and so you say they know a little bit too much about the case, or you know, it's not like they're just completely random. Right. They they will say something and it's it's something that somebody, you know, just somebody off the street wouldn't necessarily uh, wouldn't necessarily know. Mm-hmm. They either have had to have been been there or been at Bearden or have done a tremendous amount of investigation and research into the case to know what they what they know. That, that's that's the sort of thing. That's why I know it's just not some random, crazy, crazy person out there. Wow. Wow. This is a, a story that just keeps unfolding in really bizarre ways. When I first yeah. heard about it, it was really, really eerie to me. It was it is. It was, yeah, it was it is. creeping me out a little bit more than other stories because I just don't like the idea that people saw her duck into the woods and that was it. And right. And even if it is a case where something went too far and a couple people know about it, how mm-hmm. fast do people that age make that decision to hide her body, come back, then dispose of the body? These are young young kids. It's of my um, uh, mind as well. They they had some adult intervention, and I'm I'm not pointing fingers who, but I I would presume that you can put two to, two and two together and and get where I'm going with this. But I I believe if Robert Simpson harmed Trenny, his father got involved. And his father counseled him what to say, what not to say, that sort of thing. If he did harm Trenny, his father may have gotten involved and they may have put Trenny somewhere where they were very confident that she wasn't going to be found. But it's it's a very small, like it's a small circle of, of, uh, of Bearden alumni that know what happened to Trenny. Like it's, it's not something that's... Uh, you know, like every second person knows what knows what happened to her. It's a very small number. Like I say, the circle is small, so it can be controlled. It, it has to be quiet. And if anybody starts questioning us, we all just stick to the story where she ran away. She gave away her comb. She gave away her jewelry, you know, uh, gave it to somebody for safekeeping. She had it set up where somebody was going to meet her. And she just decided to take off, and that was that was it. But again, like I pointed out, she took absolutely nothing with her. She left her purse in her mother's car with her ID in it. Trenny had uh, over $1,000 in her bank account. She left her passbook and everything at home. She had some cash in her, in her drawer at home. She left that as well. She didn't take any clothing, any belongings, nothing. And Treddy was very, like, she was very level-headed. If she was going to take off anywhere, she was smart enough to plan ahead and, you know, put a plan in place, take some stuff with her and, and so on and, and so forth, especially your ID and your money, right? Mm-hmm. But I've often said this, it, one of the things about this case that, that drives me crazy is the people that think that Treddy had to go to the Smoky Mountain National Park, spend the day hiking, and then disappear. When she lived in Knoxville, and there's trains, there's buses, there's planes, there's all kinds of traffic. Why did she have to go to the park to run away? 
she would have had way better luck taking off if she wanted to run away from Knoxville. Trenny was working at the time. She had a part-time job in the mall at Morrison's Cafeteria. Really, if she wanted to leave, all she had to do was tell her folks she had to work when really she was going to take off and, and not come back. So where is this Robert Simpson guy now? He's still in the area. He lives in, in Tennessee, in, in Powell, I believe. Hmm. And he's reached out to me a few times via email, but he tends to set up uh, and use an email account that doesn't receive mail. He can only send mail because he doesn't want to talk to me. Uh, he, he likes to play the victim in all this, you know, that he's getting blamed for something that he had nothing to do with. And he just wants to be left alone. And he wants me to leave this alone and leave him alone. Uh, He doesn't threaten me like to say that, you know, something's going to happen to me if I don't drop this or whatever. He just is more the victim and he just doesn't want to be bothered. That's more his his stance in all this. But my point is, if you're 100% innocent, uh, Simpson, then, you know, come forward and do like an interview or something and give your side of it or whatever. And, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. But he doesn't do that. He either stays silent or he, uh, he wants to be the victim. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Private Investigations for the Missing, because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter, Brianna, disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.